Is it rolling, Bob? Talking Dylan. Lucas Hare? He's not there. But he'll be back next time. I'm Carrie Shale, and she's our special guest, journalist and broadcaster Jude Rogers. All the tired horses in the sun, how am I going to get any riding done? Yes, that was it. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Jude. Um, that was one of our shortest uh, Dylan um, excerpts, but um, why did you choose that? It's funny coming on this podcast because I, for years, have been a Dylan resistor. Mm-hmm. A good friend of mine, Kat, who is very excited to be mentioned in this podcast, I'm sure. <laughs> She's a huge Dylan fan. Oh, yeah. And um, I've had a very complicated relationship with him over the years, um, but she recently made me a playlist of Dylan music that um, she thinks sums up the very many facets of Bob Dylan. I don't know that, you know, it's funny speaking in this podcast thing to people who are listening to it. You know, I know there'll be so many Bob Dylan devotees mm. who know his work backwards, forwards, sideways, <laughs> every way. Um, I was somebody who was always a bit frightened, a bit terrified of this image of Bob Dylan when I was growing up. Um, I was born in 1978. Um, so when I was starting to get into music, it was the early 90s. You know, when I went past, got past my boy band youth, um, I was getting into bands like R.E.M., um, The Smiths, um, kind of alternative music. But, you know, I loved lots of American um, alternative music and people who would have loved Dylan. But there was something about this guy, you know, he was... It may be something to do with the press pictures, maybe the idea of the kind of people in my head who liked Bob Dylan. Mm. You know, they he was their thing. They loved him. You know, you mm. had to know him to like him. To know him is to love him. And I just didn't know how to get into that, how to yeah, start yeah. penetrating that image of Bob Dylan. And it's funny, the 90s was a time when Bob Dylan wasn't really around much as an influence yeah. on people. You know, this was the time of, especially in the UK, you know, Britpop emerging and lots of 60s music was important, but Dylan sort of fell outside that. You know, mm. the Beatles were talked about a lot, the Kinks, um, you know, um, but not the American side of things. You know, the Birds, you know, a band I sort of got, it, got into because of R.E.M., but um, Dylan, mm, he's a scary guy with scary hair. And, yeah, you know, exactly. Also, he looks he, a bit, uh, you know, intimidating. He's kind of a guy's guy in, in yeah. a lot of ways, too. Yeah, Um and I think also it's interesting, kind of starting to get into him recently through a friend who's who's a huge Dylan fan, who's a woman. It's interesting um, that he just had this, you know, he, it was almost like, you know, when I was young, like going into a record shop, I found quite intimidating. I know some women don't, but I always, it was always mm. a guy looking quite grumpy yeah, behind yeah. the counter. Yeah, yeah. He knew all about Bob Dylan. <laughs> I was this, you know... 16-year-old Welsh girl kind of going, oh, I want to buy some CDs and I don't really know where to start, but I knew I loved music. Um, what's good about the world we live in now is you can access lots of music without that fear. <laughs> yeah. You can just go in and say, okay, I want to listen to Street Legal. I can do it. I don't have to go and, you know. Yeah. And obviously, I'm not 16 anymore. I'll go to any record shop now. I don't care. Um, but, um, yeah, I found him very intimidating. I only got to know Dylan... Um, uh, really, when I got together with a boy uh, who is now my husband um, in 2004, Dan, um, I remember when we first started going out, we, we listened to like Blood on the Tracks, which is not the most you know romantic record to listen to. Uh, Desire as well, you know, this is not, um, yeah, I, and I did like it, I did like it. Um, and then I had a big period really loving Nashville Skyline. And then I started to realise, okay, I like this Bob Dylan that's not... The Bob Dylan other people like. He's not this intimidating Bob Dylan. This is Bob Dylan 
you know, some people say, you know, put on a funny voice, you know, kind of singing in a different style. And starting to realise that Bob Dylan was all these different people, not just this one figure, this one intimidating figure that influenced mm. all of pop music. Mm-hmm. And that's when I started to change. So that was about, hmm, when was that? About 10 years ago, kind of just really fell in love with Nashville Skyline, really. Um, but for years, you know, I just thought, you know, okay, Nashville Skyline's my record. It's just that. That's my record. And did you, even back back then, did you attempt Highway 61 uh, or, or bring it all back home? No, I didn't. And, I, you know, I, I think probably because my music tastes are all over the place. You know, I like, even though... You know, as I've mentioned, R.E.M., you know, one of my favorite bands are this, you know, Bandichel, one of the classic American rock bands and this great tradition of great songwriting and ideas of America. Um, I love lots of electronic music. I love lots of avant-garde music. I like things that are quite challenging. And Bob Dylan almost represented this figure from the canon. But when you start to get to know him, he's always kind of subverting expectations and going in different places. And that love of Nashville Skyline, because it represented something a bit different to me. I think that's why I loved it. So recently, my friend Kat, um, who has had quite a tough time recently um, in her life, um, made me a wonderful playlist of Bob Dylan because I'd said to her, I've never really got Dylan. You know, you're you're a woman like me. (laughs) You like your music. You like lots of different things. And... She put me together this playlist, and the first track on it was the track that I talked about at the start of this, which is All the Tired Horses. Um, that is an extension of this, my love of the of the Dylan that's not the Dylan I thought of. You know, here was this amazing, really beautiful track. And I was like, when's he going to come in? When's, when's he going to appear? And he didn't appear. Who starts an album a, without appearing on I it? I know, yeah. and that is just the most... <laughs> amazing thing because you know having like, read this, this is from Self Portrait which I then found out was the record you know I'd read about it over the years mm. I knew the famous what is this shit? review yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, which I read again yesterday and you know, it's not 100% kind of down on the record but it's kind of you know it's quite cutting is the one way of putting it isn't it but this was a record that was Bob Dylan going I don't want to be Bob Dylan anymore yeah. I want to just Get rid of, you know, you know, at the time he talked about, you know, the people who the followers of Bob Dylan who were just wanting to see him and be with him. He just wanted to get rid of those. So, do you know what? I'm going to do this huge record. I'm going to cover Blue Moon. I'm going to do a cover of The Boxer, The Mighty Quinn. I'm going to start with a song that I don't feature on. Which has strings as well. Yeah. Because, I mean, back then, especially, say, after Nashville Skyline, where people were adjusting to the Nashville Skyline voice, you know, mm. which was his completely unusual voice, then to have strings on the first track with a female choir... Mm. You did sort of think, what is this shit? Like, maybe not, maybe it was a different intonation. Like, yeah. well, I thought this was a Bob Dylan album. What's going on? Yeah. And, and I have to, I, I was around when that came out. And I remember the word on the street, it wasn't even reviews, although I did read the Rolling Stone review. Um, the word on the street was that it's, it is shit. Yeah. And if you like it, you are shit. Yeah. And so, you know, I bought it. But I was almost embarrassed to play it, and I listened to it once, and I couldn't actually... A few years later, I realized that I loved it. But at the time, it was almost illegal to love it. Yeah, yeah. Like, you were so uncool if you liked that album. And it was this this tsunami of righteous, hip anger. 
Yeah. And you know, in a way, you had to sort of be there. But it was like you you couldn't if you'd said that you'd like. I wasn't smart enough to withstand the rage that everybody, you know, to actually say that I liked it. So I couldn't even decide whether I liked it for a couple of years. I think, I can, you know, I can understand the rage because, you know, he here was this guy who would come along and start noticing traditional music and folk music and then he starts to, you know, kind of write his own songs and a lot of them are very political and they're very kind of engaged with the spirit of the times and then he, you know, influences so many different people, you know, in so many different ways, you know, musically, lyrically, you know, politically, you know, in, in all sorts mm. of ways. You know, obviously, yeah, I wasn't around at the time, but, you know, he was obviously such this, like this tsunami <laughs> kind of coming through pop culture that touched everybody. And then, you know, understandably, there's this guy who is a human being going, enough of this. Yeah, and it worked, you know. Yeah. He, he wrote in Chronicles, it was one of the few things yeah. I think that you can actually believe in Chronicles, yeah. that he, I mean, he did love this stuff, mm. but he knew if he put it out there, it would be so... Contrary to the the popular mood, that people would, and they did begin to drop off. In fact, I think mm. I stopped listening to Dylan at that yeah. point for for a little while. So I, I think it did work. But I'm very interested in the playlist because yeah. uh, which you sent to me, and I've been I've been going through, and I know all, all the songs on it. I was interested that the first song was all the tired horses because yeah. it's it's still kind of mind blowing, isn't it? Yeah, it's so beautiful. It's just you know very much feels in the tradition of. Southern Gothic or folk song. It's just, it's like this little line that just floats in the breeze and the repetition of it just, it just gains this power because... It's like a Cohen, isn't it? A yeah, Leonard oh, yeah. Cohen. Well, uh, this is the thing. I have always been a huge Leonard Cohen fan. I think maybe I resisted Dylan because I loved Leonard Cohen yeah, so much, yeah. you know. And <laughs> this sounds terrible, but I was thinking, why was it I really engaged with Leonard Cohen and I didn't love Bob Dylan? I think partly the voice. And I think Leonard Cohen is a kind of more romantic voice to get lost in in some respects. You know, Dylan's voice is more... You know, it's kind of harder to get into, you know. Well, his voice uh, says. He's, yeah, has so his many voice is. But the classic Dylan voice, you know, maybe that's why the National yeah. Skyline voice I like more. I think mm. it's probably also because I just, you know, thought Leonard Cohen was gorgeous. <laughs> yeah, well, and his Terrible voice... thing to say. His voice is tons sexier, I, th- I think. Uh, it's just sort of naturally sexy. It was yeah, weird. But Dylan's not sexy, actually. Oh, it's, no, it's not for I've me. I've talked to some <laughs> ladies who think that that's... Uh, I but, think some ladies, I think Kat might think, think he's sexy, yes. <laughs> yeah. So so moving on to the second one, because I've got it in front of me here. <laughs> it's, uh, so it is from Highway 61. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's interesting. So when a friend... Uh, you know, these days people don't make friends playlists as much as... Or mixtapes, as we used yeah, to call exactly. them, as much as they used to. You know, my teens were full of friends making playlists and, you know, quite often things just chopped from the radio and stuck together and, mm. you know, you have to think really hard about what's going to fit in the end, you know, to make that 45 minutes and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I've started recently kind of getting my friends to make me playlists and share with them because I recently, in the last couple of years, moved from away from London to rural Wales. <laughs> this is quite a big change. And I spend a lot of the time in the car, commuting between jobs and doing things like mm-hmm. that, you know, travelling to Cardiff to do gig reviews or going to get the train or I do some journalism teaching in a university and I'm, I'm there in the car with my CDs or my playlists. And she played maybe this and she, she, I bet she knew I was going to listen to it in the car. And it's, so I couldn't like look at the track listing, see what it was. Mm. And so just to hear these songs without any context or even the names. Mm. And, you know, Queen Jane approximately, I kind of... I didn't, you know, I, I feel embarrassed saying it on this podcast, but I didn't know it. And um, just to hear the different periods of Dylan 
you know, together without having the baggage of Dylan that I was trying to wrestle with was just a great way to get to know the music, really. Um, you know, there's quite a few tracks on the playlist from Street Legal as well. And, you know, when I was hearing this stuff, you know, you can't, I, you know, somebody who doesn't know his music well, you know, it wasn't like, oh, this must be a bit later. This must be around 78. And that's obviously an early 62 or 63 or whatever. Mm. Um just really interesting to hear those things going through. And like the fourth track on it is um, the cough song. Yeah. Which I just, and it was just nice you hearing this bit of, because obviously kind of Dylan bootlegs are, you know, another part of this legendary stuff. And I remember yeah. when I used to work at Word magazine, there was always a big review of the latest bootleg series. And yeah, I was thinking, yeah. oh, why are people just, you know, praising these kind of basement tapes, you know, blah, blah, blah. How big is Bob Dylan's basement? <laughs> um, but you hear his personality when he... Um, Cuffs in the middle of it, he goes, yeah, just, you know. Yeah, when he cuffs, cuffs. Yeah. <laughs> but actually, you know, it was an instrumental. It was meant to be an instrumental, mm. which, again, was was radical yeah. for the time. Because I think it was, was for Free Wheelin', I think it was. Yeah. And and then he didn't do an instrumental until Self-Portrait. Uh, and, oh, no, until Nashville Skyline he did. Yes, of course, uh, yeah. yes, yes. And people were confused by Dylan doing an instrumental. And then I think there, there were a couple of them on uh, Self-Portrait, and they were confused and angry. You know, the how dare he not write words because really that's what he does. Yeah. It's, um, I did an event recently with David Hepworth, who's been on this podcast, and his new book, Nothing is Real, and this idea that you know, authenticity is something that pop is obsessed with, although the book is called Nothing is Real, hmm. um, about how much of it isn't. And this idea that Bob Dylan was this kind of authentic person who sang from heart and all stuff, you know, he's <laughs> Bob Dylan is a persona, is an invented character, you know. Obviously, there's lots of Robert Zimmerman in there, I'm sure, but it's something else. It's something that helps him sing these songs. Um, was it Joni Mitchell said, um, you know, um, about performing now, performing, you know, in recent years, mm. you know, it's okay for Bob because he's got that guy to sing the songs for him. And because it's as in Robert Zimmerman's got the idea of Bob Dylan, you know, so he can feed himself through it. Joni Mitchell's always been, I'm Joni Mitchell. I like that idea huh. that he's created this character, but people invested so much in that character yeah. when he started changing it. You know, it's quite radical when you think about it, you know, how, you know, how many times he's changed his persona. And, um, you know, there's, uh, it's funny, kind of, I've got, um, my sister-in-law is a huge fan of the, the Bob Dylan Christmas record, which, you know, I feel like you, you must do an episode on that. I'm quite fond of that because, you know, it's, when that came out, I remember thinking, oh my God, how ridiculous, how silly is this? But must be Santa, every Christmas it comes out, my little boy dances around to it, he loves it. <laughs> must and, be Santa is brilliant. I, yeah. I have to go on record as saying I can't listen to the rest of the record. But, uh... <laughs> but there is this idea that, you know, he knows he was gonna. He knew he was gonna annoy people doing that. Like in the yeah. video and everything. He's. I think willfully he, he enjoys. Sure, he enjoys annoying people. I yeah. mean, he gets up in the morning and thinks, yeah. And uh, you just have to take that on board with. Yeah. With Bob, you got to roll with it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And so rolling along the uh, the playlist. So the next one that's up on uh, in order is to be alone with you. Yeah. Which is one of my favorite songs of all time. Yeah, yeah. But Nashville skyline. You know, it's. I'm trying to think. Yeah, it was about 2008 because it was around the time I went on a big trip to the west coast of America with my then boyfriend. Um, we went to Seattle and Portland and um, went inland in Oregon and Washington State. And, you know, we went in Nashville. We later did go to Nashville because mm. there was this idea, you know, it feels, it's, there was a kind of, there's such a warmth to that record. Um, you know, Girl from the North Country, I just absolutely adore. You know, there's a real, 
Maybe I'm just a soppy old fool. I don't know. There's lots of romance in that. You know, I threw it all away is my favourite off that record, mm. actually. Um, but there's, oh, that's what I mean, there's so much love there and pain and that kind of difficult area between the two. Um, and, you know, but it was quite interesting thinking about, you know, kind of obviously Johnny Cash on that record. And um, I watched a Johnny Cash documentary um, on the weekend that's um, on Netflix, a new uh, documentary oh, called Remastered. Yeah, it's about the moment when, it's about when Johnny Cash played in the White House for Nixon. So it's a um, really interesting period. And, um, you know, I hadn't really grasped how huge Johnny Cash was as a star in the late 60s. You know, mm. he was a 37-year-old man having number ones in the US and Bob Dylan was recording with him, so, which is quite unusual as well, you know, kind of trying to do to do that. Um, but uh, I, know this, I've got... I love the kind of Johnny Cash um, <laughs> uh, a passage in the liner notes for National Skyline. I just got the CD out to see if it's in this reissue, but... Um, there are those who do not imitate, who cannot imitate, but then there are those who emulate at times to expand further the light of an original glow. It's deeply pretentious, but I love it. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know Johnny Cash that well when Nashville Skyline came out, and it made mm. me explore Johnny Cash. Yeah. But I also didn't realize that apparently uh, Columbia wanted to drop Dylan. There were people in Columbia who wanted to drop Dylan after the first album. Oh, really? Yeah, and uh, and... Or even after Free Whelan. And Johnny Cash, who was a big hitter with Columbia, stepped up for him and, and said, you can't drop this guy, he's a genius. Mm. You know, yeah. Here's a, a number one country guy yeah. saying that about this folk, folky, supposed yeah. folky. He also, apparently when he did Free Whelan, Johnny Cash took it around with him everywhere and listened to oh, it all the really? time on a, on a portable record player. Yeah, And they eventually became friends. He didn't know you know, Dylan back then, and they became friends literally through the music and oh, the respect for each other, yeah. It's, this is what was quite exciting about, you know, now. It's kind of like, here I am, I'm 40, um, I've kind of been weirdly resistant of Bob Dylan all these years, and it's like, oh, Bob Dylan, he's like, you know, I can get into him, and, you know, the fact that I'm on the start of this journey. You know, I know some of the records, you know, I've I've heard Desire so many times, um, but, you know, it kind of, I, I had periods where I love that record, I love that record, but hearing everything in a new mm. context and from a friend who, you know, it's, it doesn't make a difference that she's female at all in some respects, but in other ways, it's, um, I didn't know many women who were real Bob aficionados mm. when I was a teenager. They kind of, uh, you know, he was sort of out of vogue at the time, I guess. And, yeah, as I said before, represented something that wasn't, that was canonical, was to be resisted against, which is a very teenage no, thing to I, say. You know, I was the same thing with Leonard Cohen, actually. I came to Leonard Cohen only about five years ago oh. because there was there was so... I love him now. Yeah. But there, it was the Sylvie Simmons book which actually oh, got me into book. him. Um, but n n then I went back because I, I guess I have more time now. There didn't seem to be time back then. Yeah. And I, I now know most of his stuff. Oh, yeah, late 60s. It, you know, everywhere you turn, there's amazing stuff going on. Yeah. It's wonderful when you can explore. I mean, the Dylan thing, is it's it is quite daunting. It's so yeah. huge. It's gigantic. Yeah. There's none bigger. Yeah. You know, I'm still exploring Dylan's stuff as well because there is so much of it. Yeah. This playlist that my friend Cap put together, there's lots of joy in it. You know, ch well, Changing of the Guards I really like is just, it kind of, um, from Street Legal, that kind of really rattles along. And um, there's, what else have we got here? I really like stuff from Planet Waves, actually, mm -hmm. as well. Like Tough Mama, that's fantastic. Even, even um, the summertime... 
uh, was uh, hotter than a crotch. Yeah, yeah. That that to me is is actually uh, very very sexual. I it is it. a great song though. I think I do think yeah. it's a great song. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's um, and there's some like that's uh, it, what was interesting is hearing these songs and then finding out later when they were from and what period they were from. And mm. that Planet Waves is you know just before the records I knew well, you know, Blood and the Tracks and Desire yeah. in that period. And a you know, wedding song I'd never heard before. Oh God, the lyrics are that. You know, wedding song I have trouble with because of the tune. I find the tune is absolutely miserable. I think the lyrics are well, but I think it's joyous. Interesting. I think it's interesting. I know, it's very Bob yeah. Dylan, but I, I find it very hard to listen to because I, I, it just sounds like somebody strangling a cat. <laughs> and, I, you know, I'm a guy who presents a Bob Dylan podcast, but, <laughs> but I, I do find it, there's certain Bob Dylan songs that I just mm. think, oh, Bob, couldn't you come up with something? Make it, oh, God, help me. <laughs> you know, and I, I force myself to listen to it. But you, you actively like the song. Yeah, I do. Um, you know, but can't do this playlist, so Kat... Um, yeah, I'm gonna, uh, she wouldn't mind me saying this. Her husband died recently, mm-hmm. very young. And she'd promised to make me this playlist before he died. And she made it a couple of weeks after he died and sent it to me. And, you know, when she sent it to me, you know, it was something... Her and her husband were very much into music. Uh, he was a huge music aficionado, but somebody who really shared... You know, there's some music aficionados and it's all about what I've got and how it makes me look and how it appear yeah, to people. Yeah, yeah. He was at the opposite. It's like, I want to share this stuff with you. Um, and she's very much a person like that. And, you know, it just was it seemed a very special thing to get this playlist. Um, and somebody, we've only been friends, for, you know, in the last five years or so. She's a fantastic journalist. I know through work. Um, and... The, the you know it's just lovely to kind of have that almost teenage experience of sharing music with friends again yeah. to get a different perspective on somebody that I just thought was you know it's funny I still kind of feel even coming on here today thinking God you know do I know enough do I know enough and um, you know I'm somebody who's I've worked as a music journalist for 15 years now I've interviewed lots of people I've met a lot of my heroes I've you know I've interviewed Paul McCartney I haven't interviewed Bob Dylan <laughs> but um you know, I've been in situations, I've been on the phone or in rooms with people like that, but um, there is still some music. I think it's the same for everybody. Though. There's some artists that just seem kind of like too unnavigable, or, or their mm. catalogue seems too unnavigable. So to kind of have that joy in music again, especially when you, know, when you often ask people, what's your favourite music? A lot of it will be music you've heard at that amazing point in your life where you're a teenager mm. and music just is, you know, it's more than just a soundtrack to your life, it is your life. Mm. Um, but to have that when you're, you know, you're a lot older and you're a parent of a four-year-old and you've got three jobs and you're running around mm. and going, oh, music, oh, it's the most most joyous thing. And just, um, um, and Kat said, I'm not going to put any Nashville Skyline on or um, Desire or Blood in the Tracks because you know it. And I said, no, 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 put that in, mix, put that stuff in the mix because I'd like to hear it in a different context. Yeah, yeah. So she did. This, so um, she added some stuff as well. Well, I noticed like a Rolling Stone is on there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, where did you stand? I know that. <laughs> uh, yeah. Do you, because it's on the playlist, did you listen to it again with sort of new ears? Yeah, it's or? an alternate take on it, isn't it? Yeah. Um, off the bootlegs. But um, I've always seen myself as a bit of a pop music person. You know, I love the seven inch. I love the quick format. I love, I think it's just maybe a little bit of feeling, you know, that um, there is a certain kind of person who knows certain kind of artists really well and I'm not a person. I'm kind of not as serious as other people. But mm. What's been nice about getting this playlist, and you know, especially starting with the self-portrait track and getting to know self-portrait, 
Bob Dylan's not that serious a person too. No, <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. People are, you know, more serious about Dylan than... They're as serious about Dylan as the highest classical people are serious about yeah. classical music and, and opera. And I think maybe that was one of the things that bugged Bob too around that yeah. time. Because yeah. Nashville Skyline is is full of joy and oh, yeah. fun. And... Yeah. Uh, and self-portrait is just kind of silly in a lot of ways. I mean, the boxer is is a is a car crash of a <laughs> of a production. You know, yeah, he can't yeah. even harmonize. He's trying. He, he it's like he's not trying. He's like he's trying not to do the harmony. It's like he's trying to do it badly yeah. and out of time. Yeah. And I I love it actually. I yeah. mean, David Hepworth said he thought. But we I asked him what do you think is the worst Bob Dylan track, and he said probably the boxer. Yeah. But I forgive him. But I I think. I don't think it's, I think it's great, yeah. and there's no need to forgive him. He's just messing around. Give him a break, for yeah. God's sake. It's such an act, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm somebody who's not particularly, like, you know, punky or radical, but I do love the fact that he's just, you know, it's just, it's an act, this album is an act of self-sabotage. You know, it's so long. There's, you know, he's playing songs that people know, because you think, well, why on earth is he covering The Boxer? It's a great song, of course. Um, um, after Blue Moon, a song I'm quite fond of. Um, anyway, because yeah. I used to do singing lessons when I was a teenager, and I used to sing that, so it was nice to hear that. But um, yeah, I can imagine people at the time listening to it and it's just going on and on and on. <laughs> so, um, I like that version of the Boxer too. I think it's quite fun. <laughs> it's fun. It, it, I think it's actually kind of, but it's kind of sad in the right way too. It's a yeah. sad song. I, I've got. I don't think I have problems with anything on self-portrait because it came to me when I finally got to it a couple of years later and I decided that it was okay to listen to it, you know, yeah. <laughs> quietly in my room. I, I thought, I think this is lovely. And I, 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 mm. I think I have the right to think of it as lovely. There's something about Bob Dylan. You actually can find yourself in a way, mm. your, your actual, you know, recover your, or, or, or put yourself out there yeah. and say, yeah, I like self-portrait. You, what do you, do you want to make something of it? But at the time, I guess, you know, music had, you know, popular music as we know it now was in such a, you know, it was so young. And, um, you know, could have, it was, what, 15 years old, and you had Bob Dylan who'd come t- to popular music, you know, from a different world, from traditional, from playing, you know, folk music initially and singer-songwriter stuff. But he listened to Elvis as well. Yeah, he did. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and that's kind of, you can, and you can hear that. But, um, you know, the late 60s, you know, the album has come along and yeah. the whole ritual yeah. and ceremony of yeah. buying it and opening the gatefold and putting it on. And, and you know, and I, I, I'm somebody who still loves doing that, don't get me wrong, but, you know, the album suddenly had this import and mm. artists like Dylan had this import um, within that mix because of things they sang about as well. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's such an amazingly bold thing to do. Just, you know, and to call it self-portrait is just the icing on the cake. It's just so cool. I know, and to put that self-portrait yeah. on the cover, which is, you know, it's like one of those things that your kid really would bring home from yeah, school. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's nice, darling. I, I kind of like it. It's kind of weird. <laughs> it's kind of strange. It's... Um, you know, it's become iconic in a different sort of sort of way. But I've kind of I've always quite liked it because it's just just very you know. Is it good? Is it not? I don't really know. It's um. So I I interviewed Chrissy Hind recently, um, Clang, <laughs> and um, who started painting as well. Um, yeah. And um, she um told me an anecdote that we did. Uh, this didn't get into the piece, but she'd gone out to a gig with a friend of hers who wasn't from the music world who worked in book publishing, and they'd gone to see a band. And this friend was like next to her going. Oh, um, what do you think of this music, Chrissy? And she said, "What do you think of it?" She said, oh, "I don't know. Is it good?" She said, "Are you enjoying yourself?" Yeah, then it's good. And yeah. um, 
I think obviously at the time it was hard to kind of have that conversation with yourself if you were a music fan because you were you were still you know the idea of pop music and rock music it was still rebelling against the kind of the older generation it was trying to find his feet as something that was important so to be able to mm. say for Bob Dylan to do something that's relatively silly or kind of different you know you couldn't you know if you liked him thought he was good you probably would feel nervous saying it anyway yeah. <laughs> well because it was so old fashioned like as you say the, the songs are ancient some yeah. of them yeah yeah and that it's just so unhip it was so uncool yeah and you desperately want to be cool you know at yeah. that age I, I remember I had I had an experience when I went to see the Neville Brothers at oh, yeah. um, the Town and Country Club. It was around the time of Yellow Moon, so they yeah. were they had become you know hip all of a sudden. Yeah, but they were supported by a band I'd never heard of, uh, Delamitri. Never ever heard of them. Yeah, and they were completely ignored at that point. I always show up to see the support band. Yeah, and. Uh, there was only like a hundred, couple of hundred people milling around, waiting, coming in, yeah. you know, and totally ignored. I mean, they, nobody was watching them except me. Yeah. And I thought they were great. Yeah. I thought they were fantastic. And I couldn't believe that I was the, I looked around, I was like the only person watching them. Well, and they became huge, didn't they? They became, they, they were just about to become, yeah. you know, pretty huge, but they were supporting yeah, uh, you know, because they, it might have been one of their first London gigs. But it was one of those times where I thought, you know what? I think these guys are great. I, I went out and bought their first two albums because they only had a couple of albums out and uh, and watched them sort of go up. But I, I thought I always felt very proud of myself because I thought even though some people thought they were they never had quite the cachet of being completely hip. Yeah. Um, but I, I love them all the way through. Yeah, who cares? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, um, it's funny, as a music journalist over the years, you know, it's when you're, you write about music, it's very easy to sort of get pigeonholed as writing about a certain kind of music. You know, um, I was very lucky that my first music journalism job was at Word magazine. Mm. Um, when I was 25 and I spent a couple of years doing completely random temping jobs, secretarial jobs, and I made a fanzine which the boys of Word loved and, like, offered a part-time job opening the post and helping out in the office, you know, dream job, being with um, some amazing music journalists who'd founded all these great magazines. Um, and from the start, I, um, Paul Denoya, fantastic, fantastic writer, um, was the reviews editor. And he'd give me, he said, right, here's Bob, uh, here's Paul Simon's back catalogue. Um, it's all been, all the albums are being released. I'd rather you do it than some guy who's written about it 300 times. Um, here's Brian Eno's first, uh, first four ambient records, do those. And bit, but I don't know anything about them. That's why I wanted you to do them. And mm. so I was very, very lucky. But with some other places I worked for, they'd be like, oh, go and interview the female singer-songwriter because, you know, you're a woman. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> oh, go and do this. Um, and it's funny, like now I'm, I'm the Guardian's folk music reviewer. Um, and I always feel that's a kind of slightly weird position to be in because, you know, some, I, I'm somebody who also, you know, loves a lot of traditional music and I love, you know, Bob Dylan's relationship with traditional music. Um, but um, I'm somebody who likes the most bubblegum pop I like, in, like techno, you know, <laughs> I, I'm, my tastes are very different. And I'm, I wonder sometimes if, you know, some of the stuff I review, people kind of go, mm, well, we should review the more, you know, standard stuff or whatever. Mm. But, you know, it's, 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 it's a terrible cliche, but cliches are there because they're true. You know, John Peel said, you know, if you like it, it, if, it if you like it, then it's good. Yeah, you know, exactly. fine. I mean, do you, do you um, presumably you haven't heard the the last three or four Dylan albums, the American Standard ones? No, I haven't. No, I haven't. See, I've got now got a list, <laughs> and I'm trying to work out how to listen to the rest of Dylan because do I go through them album by album, or do I almost download 
as much of Dylan off Spotify as possible and put it on shuffle <laughs> so mm. I can get this random experience. I'm, I'm not I sure how the, to do it, really. I would say that the story, you know, the, the Dylan story, starting from the beginning, mm. personally, that, that's if I'm going to read a bunch of mystery novels, I'll get the first <laughs> one and the second one. And the yeah, third one. yeah. And it's a bit like that. The Dylan is a bit like a mystery novel. Yeah, I mean, you start yeah. off, the first album, uh, I can't remember if you got anything on the playlist from the first one, uh, but I think, I think so. it's great. It's just it's uh, it's very folky, and there's only I think there's only one original on it, and he's trying to sound like an old man. Yeah, it's yeah, really yeah. interesting because he yeah. puts on his old man folky voice. Yeah, and it took him. 50 years until he really sounded like that. Yeah. And I think that's, that true, that's yeah. a really interesting, it's really interesting place to start. Yeah. And then moving on to Free Wheelin', which is still a classic. And I think going in order is, is a fascinating, because you can yeah. see the story. You can see the story through his albums. The yeah, story that's true, of, actually. I haven't know, thought of it like yeah. that. I will do that, Kerry. I will do well, that. Well, you know, it's a, it's a good way to spend your life. You know, it's, yeah. uh, it, it may take you the rest of your life. but uh, It's almost, you know, that's it's a little project to do when you're on those journeys, just to have that music with you. Yeah, it's, um, you know, I've interviewed lots of, you know, traditional folk musicians, you know, in this with my you know, my folk hat on. <laughs> I've got many hats and I've got a folk hat. And, um, you know, I've spoken to people who saw the first time he played in the UK and, mm. um, you know, could have, he was, you know, he obviously was quite radical for that scene because, you know, he, you know, oh, yeah. he was quite different. But, you know, the folk clubs are such a massive part of pop, the burgeoning pop culture that I think people don't kind of give enough credit to, you know, really. You know, it, mm. it, it was the emergence of a sort of hipster culture as well through Exactly. That. Yeah, we had Ken Cranham uh, on here, the yeah. actor, and he saw uh, Dylan at the Royal Festival Hall, and I believe it was 64, and he played Mr. Tambourine Man, which hadn't been on an album. Mm. And so, you know, listening to Mr. Tambourine Man come from which the man himself. Which is also fantastic, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he said he, you know, he's never quite recovered from that concert. Yeah, it's, it's almost like these odd singles that are, you know, are well known. They've kind of almost stood aside his persona because they're almost like pop singles. I saw him, I have seen him live, you know. Oh, you have? I was going to ask have. you. I have. Where? Glast- when? Glastonbury. I meant to check this before. Was it 98? Luke could tell you if he was here. Yeah, He's it was, <laughs> he was at the, it, it was definitely the 90, it was not 95. So I went to Glastonbury when I was 17, 1995. Um, there was a little mini bus of us from my tertiary college went down, driven by my friend's mum, uh, who just wanted to take us all to Glastonbury. It was amazing. Beautifully sunny. It was definitely not that one because I went to the two really awful, legendarily muddy Glastonbury's in 97 and 98. I think it was 98, which is also the one where I, fell over in the mud and cut my arm and spent like half a day in a St. John's Ambulance. <laughs> I might have, you know, drank a little bit too much as well. But um, So which Dylan did you see? Uh, he was just, I left. I could have, um, this what, was probably while he was after, playing, you mean? Yeah, I did. This was obviously, um, so this is what, time out of mind? Was that kind of late 90s? Uh, and I thought, because I was like, you know, Bob Dylan's playing, yeah, whatever. You know, this is kind of like, yeah, you know, the late 90s, I was not interested. I was really into dance music at the time. I was... Um, still loved my, you know, kind of my in, more indie kind of things, really. And, you know, Bob Dylan wasn't indie. You know, so how long did you give him before you left? I think I gave him about 15 minutes or something. Mm. I think he played the same year as Nick Cave. And I remember thinking, you know, I think it because, you know, I loved the Leonard Cohns and the Nick Caves, you know, the, the dark romantic souls. And Bob Dylan was not a dark romantic soul at that, um, at that Glastonbury. Mm. But um, and I always had a problem with you know, the Bob Dylan voice that everybody, you know, <laughs> parodies or whatever, that kind of, you know, kind of very scratchy nasal voice. But I've started to really like it, actually, recently, which is also a strange thing, because I've been like, 
you know, res- resisting that for years because it is mm. so, it's quite hard on the ear. Um, but it, it, it does have this hypnotic sort of power. You never know which way it's going to go. Yeah, and it's it, got this storytelling quality about it, which is quite interesting. You know, um, a lot of the singers I really like aren't technically amazing singers. You know, um, Neil Tennant of the Petra Boys, very different musician. You know, he's somebody who has a voice that's sort of between spoken word and half singing at times and you know they've got very different voices but you could sort of say that with Dylan as well is spoken mm. word half singing kind of um well especially now I mean you should get the Guardian to send you to you know his next yeah, tour I would love that actually. because it'd be really interesting to come from your point of view because his voice I don't know if you've heard his voice you know in the last even 10 years but even or the last five years I mean it's it's a it's a husk it's is it like sub Tom Waits sort it's, of? yeah he makes Tom Waits sound like a choir boy. <laughs> I, I swear to God. It's and yet he's still I've seen him the last three or four times he's played here. It's Go. it's fascinating. It's it's like watching somebody play an instrument that they once were able to play, but they've had some sort of terrible thing happen in their brain <laughs> and they they're they're trying to rediscover it and yeah. it's it, it's it's kind of fascinating and terrifying at the same time. You just mm. don't know. It it sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. So you never go and know what you're gonna get, but that's the the magic yeah, of it, it's, actually. It's, it's, it's all part of the story. It's like we're approaching the end of the story now, mm. and I think it's, it's, it's fascinating and kind of moving. I know another thing that could have made me start to change my mind about Bob Dylan was, um, what was it called, the, the, kind of, the radio show he did about 10 Theme years ago? Theme Time Radio. Theme Time Radio, yeah, mm. and that was just really, really interesting. And also in recent years, I've interviewed Mavis Staples a couple of times in oh. recent years. and um, His first love. His or first one of his love, first yeah. yeah. And... Um, Talking to her, you know, she's somebody who's still performing, you know, and her voice is still, her voice has changed, but it's still incredible. Oh, she's amazing. She's such a great interview as well. Yeah. She's so lovely. And, you know, somebody who's va- so underrated, you know, she had a huge hit single before the kind of rock and roll, you know, with staple singers. And, you know, you know, you go back through their catalogue, just incredible. Um, just talking to her about him as a musician, um, it just, it's just just really interesting and kind of like hearing about you know his knowledge of music, um, you know through through his radio shows, mm. you know Mavis Staples one of my favourite people I've ever interviewed. So for her to say yeah I love I love Dylan I think okay if Mavis Staples is going to give kind of kind of prod you into listening to Dylan again you know that's a pretty good person to prod you into listening to yeah. Dylan. Um, I think we got to knock it on the head, you. Oh, that was fun. Good, good. Well, welcome aboard. Thank you. Um, (laughs) I'm on the good ship, Dylan. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) And can I thank Kat for doing this playlist, and it's just been the loveliest thing. And uh, I think more people should do it, more of your listeners should do it. Create your own Dylan plays and share them with your friends. Yeah. still buy his records, of course, but, you know. Oh, and a postscript. Um, I interviewed Marianne Faithful in the summer and read her 1994 memoirs faithful as preparation and there's a great story about Bob Dylan in there she's in a room with Dylan who she talks about how he's he loves her and they have this kind of unfulfilled thing um and Paul McCartney and John Lennon are in there as well and uh Paul McCartney's just come in with this recording of a new track he's done and it's quite avant-garde and ele- using early tape cutting or electronics or something uh-huh, uh-huh. about 64 or something like this and he puts it on, and this is the time that the Beatles, you know, are obsessed with Bob Dylan. They really want to get his um, blessing. And they play it, and a minute into it, Bob Dylan gets up, walks out the room, slams the door. <laughs> <laughs> and McCartney is just, M- M- Marianne Faithful describes, he's just absolutely crestfallen. 
But um, maybe that's why he didn't do many electronic things for a little while later. But yeah. poor old, uh, oh, poor old his Paul. Spirit temporarily. Yeah. Anyway, but he was mean. Paul. He was mean, Bob. Yeah. You know, he could be very mean. Maybe that's... that's why I was against him as well. But you know. Everyone's allowed to be like that when they're young. Oh, God, yeah. (laughs) I was terrible at at that age. Is It Rolling Bob? Talking Dylan is recorded in the Eruk Suite at Lip Sync Studios. Engineered by Mark Langley-Smith. Produced by Robin Guise. We're on Twitter at Is It Rolling Pod. Music is by Sam Hare. No, I ain't got my childhood. Or friends I once did know. But I still got my voice left. I can take it anywhere I go, so I guess I'm doing fine.